I'm delighted to to be here with you and to open Psalm 28, which, by the way, you just sung. I'm not sure that that was completely clear what that last song was about, but it was a rendition of uh, Psalm uh, 28. And so let's look into Psalm 28. Let me pray and then we'll get into it. Our great God and Father, we are so thankful to be here together with your people, reminding ourselves of what a dear friend you are to our souls, reminding ourselves of our deep need and our poverty that drives us, not just every week, but every moment drives us back to you. Thank you that we have the opportunity together and to enjoy your word. God, I pray that our hearts would be enriched, stabilized, that you would free us from those things that weigh us down. And so God, we just commit ourselves again to you and ask that your word would would help us as we uh, pursue you now, this morning, and we ask it in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, let's begin by reading Psalm 28, and I, and I hope that you'll recognize it from, from the, the song just a moment ago. Of David, to you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of His hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord. For He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of His anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Psalm 28 is kind of an unusual psalm in some respects. It's, you might say it's sort of a plain vanilla psalm. It's just, uh, it doesn't lack the, the flavor that you get when the, the ascription says, David, after he hid from Saul in the cave, or this was written by David for the 
temple, or this is a song of ascent. And you get all these hints about how you're supposed to read the psalm. This psalm just says, of David. And there's really not very much in it that says, of David, for this specific reason. And so, I understand it to be, of David, for any reason you need. Of David, for general use. Because this is a psalm that I think most of us could really use. I am delighted, I have to say, to um, hear that you're happy to have your pastor back and the sweetness of the relationship of the church with Travis uh, does my heart good. Um, And the sweetness of a lot of relationships does my heart good. But the reality is, there are a lot of relationships that are not sweet. There are a lot of people in, uh, I shouldn't say a lot of people in my life, there are some people in my life, some people in probably all of our lives, for whom your association with them is like Chinese water torture. It's just, they're just back there and it's drip, drip, drip. It's going to be, oh, here they come again, drip. Make it stop, drip. Let me out of here. And there are those people and there are those relationships. And it's that prolonged frustration that I think is at the heart of this psalm. I think what he has in mind are some people that have been bothering him for a long time and he is asking God to give him some relief. And so he's praying about a long-standing frustration. Now, I suspect if there's no one here who has a long-standing frustration, we should just cut this short and get on with the potluck. But I rather imagine that most of us have people in our lives. Most of us have circumstances in our lives that just we just wish would get better. And see, what do you, what do, you do when you have that? Some, some people get angry. They just, they just unload when things don't go their way, when a person crosses them, when they're frustrated. Other people withdraw and avoid. I don't know, uh, you probably know some people like that too, who just decide that it isn't worth it. And they're just going to retreat and hope that they, that other person doesn't see them. Some people, when the pressure is bad enough, medicate. And they look to the bottle, they look to uh, some pills to take away the frustration and the pain. Some people, when this kind of thing happens, they fix it, or attempt to fix it, 
by gossiping and they just decide, I'm going to start talking about this person and what a problem they are. And what I want to suggest to you is that David in Psalm 28 offers us a far better course of action. He offers us a far better uh, approach to those people and those problems that plague us and just don't get better. And it probably will come as little surprise that the preferable course of action, that His way of dealing with things is simply to bring it to the Lord. To pray. And you think about it. I think, I think about all those things that I, that I hide from or avoid or retreat away from. All those people make me want to lash out or gossip or any of those things. And how much it would help if I would take the energy that I use in my coping techniques and simply pray about it. If you will pray about it, I really do think that God will help you. I think that God will help you because He helped David. And David really took this same approach. And so, as you have these things in your life, and maybe you have names or labels on those people or situations, and when you do, and you bring them to the Lord, I just want to put forth Psalm 28 as a template, you might say, for that kind of prayer. For a way to approach God with those people or problems that persist. And so when... We think about praying about them. I want to suggest that what he has here in Psalm 28 are really four different recommendations for our prayers. That we can approach prayer in these trying situations in four different ways. The first thing that I would point out, I guess, from Psalm 28 is to pray with urgency. To pray with urgency. I just love what, how this starts. It says of David, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me. Lest if you be silent, I become like those who go down to the pit. I don't know. Maybe you guys are way better prayers than I am. But I do have a lot of mornings when I start the day praying. And it's like I'm talking. Is anybody listening? And what I do, you know what I do when that happens? Too often? I quit. I just quit. And what David says is, you know what? Don't quit. Keep praying. And in fact... Why don't you ask God to get with the program? God, would you listen to me? See, it's interesting. Isn't it interesting that he is talking to God, the creator of the universe, and he says, um, 
How about if you don't turn a deaf ear to me? How about if you're not silent when you answer? And he begs God to take action and begs God to listen. And to me, that is, uh, that's really refreshing because I have, I have this kind of problem. That sometimes I don't think God hears me. And I, what, he, what he's suggesting here, I think, is don't give up. Keep going. In fact, ask God to act. Verse 2, hear the voice of my pleas. He's not retreating. He's not taking the day off. He's not stopping his request because it seems like the heavens are brass. In fact, he is doubling down and saying, God, you are the one who can do something about this. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. Hear me. It's almost as if he's grabbing God by the collar, saying, listen to me. I mean, we, we think that that's sacrilegious. We'd say, oh, I'd never approach God like that. But let me suggest to you, that kind of determination in prayer is really what it is going to take to push through when things are hard. I love the way he characterizes his prayers. I say they're urgent. They are urgent and they are humble. He says, they are my pleas for mercy. So you you can tell that he's got something pressing. That he's got some problem, person, or circumstance. Because he's asking for mercy. God, please turn off the valve of suffering here. I cry to you for help. See, one of the things that we, I think, I think we underestimate it. I was going to say we take it for granted, but I don't think we take it for granted. I think we just underestimate the fact that God is a Father. And as a Father listens to His children when they cry, so God listens to you when you cry. And I think you can appeal to Him that way. I, just, I still remember a prayer that, of Charles Spurgeon when he just... He had gout. And I don't know if any of you have ever had gout. Mercifully, I have not. But it hurts like anything. And he, he just... Prayed and he said, God, if I had a child that was hurting like I'm hurting, and he was asking me to help him, I would do anything I could to help my child. God, would you help me? You see, that's that's what this is—a plea for mercy. A cry for help. Then he says, and I love this too, I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. I don't know necessarily what you think you're doing when you lift your hands in worship. 
when you are maybe lifting your hands in prayer. I don't know what you think that's supposed to mean. I mean, one of the things that that does, depending on the song that you're singing or the, the prayer that you're praying, is I volunteer, right? <laughs> Be careful when you lift your hands. The other thing that, and I think this is what it's getting at here in the text, is I'm coming with nothing. Look, I got nothing. God, I, I am here to receive. I'm not here to give. And see, that's the nature of prayer. We don't come, we don't come to give like, oh God, I am, uh, I've got my ten minutes in and I'm thinking that you ought to be doing something by now. Because I've done my part. That, that is not the way that you come to God. You come to God with hands empty. And I think that's His image here. I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. And so pray with urgency and humility. I suppose that's the way to characterize the first couple of verses. The second uh, part of this psalm I would characterize as saying, pray for protection and justice. And so here I think we're going to get into some, I don't know, controversial um, ground, I suppose. His first prayer in verse 3, do not drag me off with the wicked. So here is, Here is his request, don't drag me off with the wicked. Don't include me when you judge them. Or even probably better, don't let me be included in the things you would judge them for. The things that you would drag the wicked off for, don't let me get involved with those things. So that I don't get included in their judgment. Now, there is all kinds of opportunity to pray that way, right? You're around people who, I mean, I just think this, you're around people who gossip and that bothers you. Maybe they're gossiping about you. Maybe you want to gossip back. Okay, maybe there's, you know, whatever it is. You want to sort of get back at them. This is when you pray this. God, don't drag me off with them. Don't let me retaliate. Don't let me do the same thing they're doing. God, free me from this sin. So that I'm not, I'm not where they are. These workers of evil. He says, and here's the, this is one of the reasons I think that this is kind of a gossip kind of a thing. Um, They speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. I mean, I have seen this. I've seen this with with young people. They speak peace when they are together and evil on social media. Where there are two different ways of communicating about the same person. They're two-faced, you might say. They speak peace and there's evil in their heart. And God, that is not... I mean, first of all, I think that it's that kind of activity that's causing him the pain that's leading him to pray Psalm 28. I mean, if you've had people speak peace 
and then you know there's evil in your heart toward you, then you know that that's cause to suffer and cause to pray. And I think that's what's causing Psalm 28. But I just love the duplicity that's explicit here. That they speak peace with their neighbor while evil is in their heart. And I just want to just even use this as an occasion to warn you and, and beg you not to be that person that does that. Because it's really easy to put on a good face or to say the right thing in their presence and the wrong thing when they're gone. So, speak peace with their neighbors while evil's in their heart. Then, verse 4, it gets more interesting. Give them, give to them according to their work. According to the evil of their deeds, give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them their due reward. Now, they're... There's a, there's a name for this kind of prayer. It's called an imprecatory prayer. Which means I'm praying against somebody. I mean, this is, this is a nice one. It says, you know, give them what they deserve. Which is actually a very good thing to pray. Especially for people you know are doing you wrong. That you know are sinning both against you and against God. That's okay to pray that. I mean, when I say it's a nice one, I just read one this week in my quiet time. It said, let them be like the snail that dissolves in its slime. <laughs> now, now you're starting to talk about impre- imprecatory prayers. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you don't need to go that far. But I, I, I say that and I make light of it a little bit because we do struggle with... How do I interact with this person? And especially, how do I interact with them before God? And I think it's okay to say, give them according to their works. In fact, Romans chapter 2 does say, God gives to people according to their deeds. So, that's that's a justifiable thing to pray. Render them their due reward. Again, because... If they change and they start doing right, and they start being a blessing, and they start being um, good, then render them according to their works, by all means. So I think, I think that's fair. Uh, verse 5, he, he admits that, that he doesn't mean it in the nicest way. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of His hand. I mean, this is really Romans chapter 1. Uh, Romans chapter 1 uses this same language. They do not regard the Lord. That's part of the problem. And so, his encouragement uh, is to go ahead and pray about people who cause you problems and you can ask God to give them their due reward. And this is what he believes it will be. At the end of verse 5, He will tear them down and build them up no more. And so he's able to let his prayer rest toward these other people. God, I'm just going to ask you, would you give them what they deserve? And I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't think they deserve anything very good. 
We'll let you... See, the, the nice thing about this, the beautiful thing about this is I don't need to retaliate when I pray this way. I don't need to be the one to exercise any kind of judgment. See, everybody gets all uptight about judging other people. I'm simply praying, God, will you be their judge? And I'm going to leave it in your hands. So when you're praying for justice and protection, you can say, God, I'm going to leave it in your hands. So that's a, that's a beautiful value of prayer. I'm going to leave it in your hands. Even the things that I don't like. Well, the third part of this psalm that invites us, uh, I think, to, um, to use it as a template, we want to... Um, we want to pray with some urgency and humility. We want to pray for protection, justice, and we want to pray with confidence. We pray with confidence because you'll notice and, in fact, be a little bit surprised by it because you've been listening, right? He says, oh, God, hear me. Oh, God, would you give them what they deserve? And he's directly speaking to God about these problems. And then what he does is he changes his tune and all of a sudden he just says, blessed be the Lord. For he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. He is so confident that God will hear him that he even uses this this same phrase that he used up in verse, I think it's in verse 2, my pleas for mercy. God, hear my pleas for mercy, help me. And he has heard it. He is so confident that God will hear him that he begins by thanking or blessing the Lord because he is certain he'll hear him. And there's no reason for you, even if you don't feel like he hears you, even if you don't sense that he's just all the way out there working for your good, you can be confident that he hears you. I mean, Hebrews tells us that He hears us because we have a great high priest who has not been uh, untouched with our weakness and infirmity. And He presents our case before God. And so, our, our case is presented before God by the risen Jesus. And you can be confident He hears you. Just like David. Then he says, the Lord is my strength and my shield, verse 7. When, when I have people like this in my life, it does help me to know the Lord is my strength. It's got, can I put up with them again? Can, um, can I get through this conversation? Ugh. And you know what? I can also affirm with confidence, yes, I can. I can go through this because the Lord is my strength. In the midst of it, He will strengthen me to do the right thing. And He is my shield. This one, I, as I was meditating on this, I just realized I don't go, I go to my strength all the time. God I just feel so weak about this. I feel so unable. Would you help me? Strengthen me. I, I, I do that. I don't do my shield. 
I don't think to pray that way. My shield is a preventative instrument. God, would you prevent any of this gossip, any of this talk, any of whatever it is that's causing me the pain. God, would you prevent this and be my shield? That's, that's really what he's talking about here. God is the one who will prevent future frustration. And so the Lord is my strength and He's my shield. In Him, my heart trusts and I am helped. This is a great phrase. This is, again, it's a phrase of confidence. In Him, my heart trusts and I am helped. I do interact with a lot of different people about a lot of different things that they believe. Some people interact with me about what they believe in order to disagree with me. Which is fine. They don't have to believe everything I believe. But when that's the case, one of the things that I, I want to ask is, does it help you? Does it really help you? I mean, I just listened to a, a, a podcast yesterday a, about a guy who, from a guy who is super smart, uh, and he was talking about uh, our. Uh, how do I say this? About how he, Homo sapiens have been telling each other stories for their entire history. He said, "Take for instance the story of religion, the story of the Bible." He said, "It's just fiction." And then the person who was interviewing him, I just love this, asked him, so I'm just going to push back on that a little bit. Say that it's fiction and that there's no transcendent purpose for Homo sapiens. That was the way they were talking about us. There's, and he said, you know what? There isn't. I'm a scientist and there isn't. He said that is a story that, you know, religion's been saying all along, but there isn't. And I thought of this text and I thought, in him my heart trusts and I am helped. Mr. Science, how does that help you to have no transcendent purpose in your life? Does that really satisfy you deep down to know that you are here simply by accident and you remain an accident? See, because I, I have quite a bit different experience here. I trust in the Lord and I am helped. He does help me. And I think that's one of the things when somebody does disagree with me even, I'll say, well, great. Okay? I mean, I'll ask them about how they arrive at that belief or how they, um, what validity it may have. But then I'll also want to press a little bit and say, does it really help you? I mean, I've been hearing a lot about people who just doubt the Scripture. They've decided they don't believe in the Scripture. 
I said, well, you're, you know, you're free to believe whatever you want, but I don't really get how just abandoning the Scriptures is really going to help you. I think it's fair to ask the question, how does it help? Because the Lord is my strength and my shield, and in Him my heart trusts, and it does help me. I'm going to be anxious for nothing but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let my request be made known to the Lord. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And frankly, that helps. That helps. In Him my heart trusts, and I am helped. I mean, you can get the confidence here, right? That He's praying with. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to Him. My heart exalts. And with my song, I give thanks to Him. My heart is happy. So, His circumstances aren't happy. The, the, the cool thing is, there's no indication anything about His circumstances have changed. It still appears that those same people are giving Him grief. But as He affirms God's answer, as He affirms God's character and who God is to Him, He's helped. His heart is happy. It exalts. And he's going to give thanks to him in, in song. Now, I'm not going to sing for you this morning. But I, I, I do want to simply give thanks to the Lord for hearing a prayer that I didn't think he was, in, that he was hearing. Um, it's summertime, and so everyone kind of takes off, right? Everyone just takes off their ministries, takes off their uh, plan. Their, you know, it's their time to take a break. Some people take a break and they say, I'm never going to come back. I'm not going to go back to my ministry or whatever. Well, there are, there are two things. I mean, you heard a message here earlier in the summer that said, pray the Lord of the harvest that He'll raise up workers for the harvest. Okay? And I decided I hadn't been doing that like I should. I hadn't been grabbing God by the collar, saying, listen to me. Okay, I mean, we have a, in, in Westland, we're right across the street from Westland High School. Uh, this summer, in the news, on TV, there have been students who uh, have been interviewed and they've done stories about the parking problems around Westland High School during the day. And, we have, for over 20 years, served breakfast to um, students before school. We call it our coffee cart. And uh, the person who's been leading coffee cart, is, they, they weren't stepping out or being um, a problem in any way. It's my daughter-in-law. And they're adopting, and they have a baby. They, she can't do it anymore. And so I realized at the beginning of summer when we were talking about pray the Lord of the harvest, I better get praying about who's going to lay coffee cart because the need is bigger than ever. The need is making news now. So I began to pray about the Lord of the harvest to, to raise up somebody. And just this week, somebody said, yeah, I, I would love to do it. More than that, though, that wasn't quite as remarkable because I did sort of initiate the conversation with this person. But I initiated a conversation with lots of people, just so you know. But finally, the, um, 
Wednesday was the day of prayer and fasting. So, I mean, I'm still on this same topic. Pray the Lord of the harvest. And I'm, there, there are three or four things that are, have been big for me. Another one is a, a female leader for Celebrate Recovery. Uh, we just have had, uh, um, had a great ministry to men and women in recovery. Uh, there is now a movement to, to try and bring some drug and alcohol help to students at Westland High School right across the street from the church. And we've got to celebrate recovery, and the women who have been helping are unable to do it anymore. Again, they haven't had a bad attitude. They just are physically unable to do it. And so I have been praying all summer long, Lord of the harvest, we need somebody here. This is good harvest work among people who really need it. God, would you please um, raise up somebody. And so Wednesday is day of prayer and fasting, and that was, I, I had a person in mind. There's only one name that actually came up that, that would be the perfect person for this. And so I began to pray that the Lord would raise her up to do this. And Thursday morning, I'm in my office trying to get this message ready, and she calls and says, I want to talk to you about being the uh, women's group leader at Celebrate Recovery. I mean, nobody had talked to her about it. And she had simply, um, you know, I don't know if she'd seen it in the prayer request or seen it some other place, but she called and um, and uh, Friday night uh, at Celebrate Recovery, and we had a big funeral in conjunction with Celebrate Recovery this week. I entered, uh, she met the leader and um, is set to do that. And so, my heart is exulting about that. I'm not going to sing for you, but I do want to give thanks to the Lord for that. And I want to I want to encourage you. Pray the Lord of the harvest, send forth labors. I want to encourage you. Pray about the people who are giving you a hard time. Let your heart exult and give thanks to the Lord. And then it changes again. And he says, um, he goes plural in the last couple of verses, which is another change. Okay, It's another change in another aspect of this prayer. So pray with confidence, pray with urgency and humility, pray with... Um, for protection and justice. And then, pray for God's people. Pray for God's people. Because you're not the only one with these problems. You're not the only one with pressure. You're not the only one with difficult people in your life. Look at verse 8. It says, the Lord is the strength of His people. Where does that come from? All of a sudden, he's, it's my refuge, or my shield... And He's uh, my salvation. He's my strength. Now He's the strength of His people. And He goes public with this prayer. He is the saving refuge of His anointed. He has in mind praying for the people of God who have been set apart by God. And so... You know, I was, I was joking a little bit about having a quota. I'm going to pray enough 
in my little quota that I expect God to answer. I'm not done. We're just when I pray as much as I think I need to pray for me. I need to pray for the people of God. Lord, would you be their strength? Would you be the saving refuge for them? That's what verse 9 says. Save your people and bless your heritage. He expands his prayer. Not just to himself. He's really already prayed to be saved. He's already prayed for blessing for himself. And now he expands it. And so part of our prayers, even when we're under pressure, needs to be for other people. Get your eyes off yourself and start praying for other people. Save your people and bless your heritage. And then this last phrase is precious. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Oh God, would you shepherd your people? I mean, I have... I have the unenviable title of pastor, which is just uh, um, different um, version of shepherd. That's a title that a pastor carries. And you know what? I'm not up for it. In fact, you deserve better. Than me, and I'm glad that you're happy Travis is back, but you deserve better than him too. And so we pray for one another that the Lord would be our shepherd. See, that's that's a prayer of Psalm 23. It can't help you can't help but flash back there. But you also can't help but flash forward to John chapter 10 when Jesus says, I am the great shepherd. That's that's the shepherd you need. To flash forward to 1 Peter chapter 5 when he says to shepherd the people of God as under shepherds, which means that there is a great shepherd, Jesus. You can't help but flash all the way forward to Revelation chapter 7 when it tells us that the Lamb will shepherd His people and He will lead them to the rivers of life. You see, that's the ultimate fulfillment of this prayer. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. See, ultimately, my prayer for you Hopefully your prayer for me and your prayer for each other is that Jesus will be your shepherd. That you will receive from Jesus what you need. And you can pray this with absolute confidence as well. You can pray this because it is full of protection and justice. You can pray this with urgency. Because 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, tell us about Jesus, our shepherd. And it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you've been healed. 
for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, the beautiful answer to this prayer in Psalm 28 happened on the cross. When Jesus Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. And so I pray, God, carry your people, shepherd your people. Let them return to the shepherd and overseer of their souls. Jesus earned the role and title of shepherd as He suffered on the cross for you. And I trust that Psalm 28 will give you language as you pray. Especially language as you pray when you're under pressure. But I hope that you will recognize that everything in there is dependent upon a crucified and risen Savior. And it is the crucified and risen Savior that ultimately guarantees your access to God and your answer from Him. And so as a way of reminding ourselves that that is the ground of our acceptance before God and the hope that we have for our prayers, uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper where we remember that He... um, bore our sins in His body on the tree. That He might be the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And so, uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to participate with us. If you're not uh, yet a believer in Jesus Christ, it's okay to not participate in this part of the service, but I do want to encourage you that if you will believe or trust in Him, As the psalm said, it will help you. And I commend to you faith in Jesus because it will help. And so I just encourage you, if you're going to pass up this part of the service, don't do it without having a conversation with God about um, the need of your soul and about what uh, kind of a shepherd and... Uh, overseer you need. Um, But if you are already a believer in Jesus, then this is a time for you to remember His uh, broken body and His shed blood on the cross. And so, uh, what we'll do during the next song, I encourage you to get out of your seat and there's a table in the uh, the front and a table in the back uh, for you to get the elements and return to your seat and we'll, uh, we'll partake together in just a moment of uh, the broken body and shed blood of our Lord. Let let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank You for for this example of prayer for sure. Thank You that we have um, hope that You will answer us because we have an advocate with the Father. And Father, I thank You that that advocate with the Father is also the shepherd of our souls. And so would You enable us, even now, to um, 
to enjoy being loved by you as we remember Jesus. Because it was in this act that we remember now that you demonstrated your love for us. That Christ died for us. And so Father, if, if for some people here it doesn't feel like to them like you're listening, God, would you just remind them of your love as we um, remember Jesus now. And we ask this in his name. Amen.